your source for all things Everton. Uh, welcome to the End of the World podcast. Uh, we're still here, still ongoing. Everton might not be playing, but Toffee Blues are still bringing you content, bringing you things to listen to, to take your mind off the... Uh, Keeping you well, sane. Yeah, uh, taking your mind off the you-know-what, let's be honest. Um, yeah, no matches to talk about uh, over the weekend. as. Uh, this is recording on Monday. We should be playing the Merseyside derby right now, but thankfully we're not. Um, came at the right time for us, just for our, you know, I'm actually less stressed now with a global pandemic than I am with the potent, the idea of playing a derby where Liverpool could win the title. So I think, uh, I think we can all second that as Everton fans. Yeah, we must be the only people who are actually happy to hear the football called off. For now, I don't think I'll be happy next week, but just this one would have been fine. We've got a bit of a different show lined up for you guys today. Uh, obviously, no extra time today, but no match to speak of. So we're going to go with a couple of different segments. Uh, first segment will be uh, the goalkeeper position. Do we need a new number two in the summer, providing that we are allowed to buy players in the summer? At the minute, that seems to still be the idea. Uh, then we're going to do a bit of a throwback segment. We're going to do a few of these going forward where we have um, players that have in the past, some of them far in the past, some of them more recent. Uh, we will look back at their career at Everton, what we felt when they signed, what we feel of, felt of them when they left, and did they fulfil their potential at Everton and what our general thoughts are. And This uh, first edition will be for... Yeah, fame. He's magic, you know. So uh, before we get into all that, uh, James, how are you, mate? How's, how's it going? How's, how's life in your bunker? It's fantastic. I mean, I still have to go outside. I've just come in from work about half an hour ago. So life's still pretty much trucking on for me. Uh, not so much for anyone else. I've come home. Everyone else is already in. You know, everyone's sort of avoiding going out if they possibly can. But it's... Not going to be the case for me for a couple of weeks yet, I don't think. So, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm carrying on as normal. Um, I've got the type of job where I can't really work from home, so I'm um, just carrying on as normal until told otherwise. My um, Mrs. McAllister works for the NHS as well, so she's uh, she's actually contrary to what everyone else is saying, hasn't had much change in her job as of yet but obviously it's, that can change any day um with you know the daily updates from the prime minister and what have you um so so far so good um how about yourself is your job the type of job where you can work from home is that a possibility no not not really no i mean um, i'm a i do facilities management uh, so we have to be on site all the time if, uh, if, if if people are in the office block then we're in basically so until the entire building decides that they fancy staying off, then we've got to go go into work. Yeah, it's pretty much um, my position as well. I mean, I mean, you know, the heart goes out to anyone who's in a, in an industry that's going to suffer unduly, like the service industry or like restaurants, you know, anything like that. You know, good luck to everyone, and hope, you know, hope you, everyone pulls through together. But um, yeah, I'm sure anyone listening to this now is fed up of listening to talk about the coronavirus it seems to be what everyone's talking about so 
just kick things kick things off straight away. I mean, what would you say is the best type of biscuit? <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic start. Toffee Blues John said that's what you know, we said, What can we open the show with? Um, you know, that isn't the coronavirus, and even though we have just done five minutes on it, um, he just said, What is what's the best type of biscuit? Everyone loves uh, loves that. So I'm just gonna throw me marker down straight away and say chocolatey rounds. You get them in a biscuit selection boxes, but they're basically those round biscuits with a hole in, very small hole, and they're absolutely covered in a a bunker thick layer of chocolate. It's unbelievable. I don't, I think that's a strong, strong uh, opening opening shot. What about you? Very interesting. I mean, I'm very uh, apprehensive about telling everyone my favourite biscuit just because in this age of sort of stockpiling that they're all gone by the time I go to the shop next time. But my favourite has to be a custard cream. Very basic. You just can't argue with it though. I think a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with a custard cream, you just cannot go wrong. Gotta be honest, that's a pretty... It's a pretty rough one. That, that that's like you you'd be fine on ration Jew. That's not even like a treat of custard cream. Okay. I mean it, it's it's versatile, I'll give you that. It's a good solid Tony Ibbett biscuit where you know he, <laughs> yeah. he does his job and no frills about him, but I'm I'm looking for more flair in a biscuit. What kind of <laughs> what kind of biscuit are you looking for? The the name the Neymar of biscuits. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, I mean, biscuits aside, there's a few other little things you know going on at the minute outside of the uh, the dreaded CV. Um, Everton related as well. Imagine that. Um, we've been obviously linked quite heavily to um, the Lille sent the Brazilian centre back from Lille, uh, Gabriel uh, Gabriel. I don't know how you say it. Gabriel. I'm going to assume. A um, lot of reports from a while ago. Actually, it went round the sort of. ITK, you know, sort of um, hive mind on Twitter that a while ago that he was already signed and sealed and delivered or close to, and now the press are starting to pick it up. You know, um, you know, could be a player coming into the squad for next season, uh, providing the season you know goes ahead as planned. I mean, I've not seen anything of him, but you know, he looks like you know, physically he looks like quite a big you know strong player. So I'm I'm all. I'm all for that because I think, you know, pace and power is a big thing for centre-back. We've got Mason Holgate, who's one of our best players at the minute, but he's, you know, he's quite short for a centre-back, but he's got the ability on the ball, so perhaps could, you know, strike a good partnership with him. Um, have you he's seen anything of Gabriel? Left, left, left-footed as well, isn't he? Which is, a, I think that's something we've really been concerning me lately, is like, not since Sylvan Distan have we really had a left-footed centre-back. Well, we have Funes Mori, but we'll gloss over that. We had a for one game. We had a eloquent Mangala. Oh yeah. <laughs> then again, he was a, a had all the physical attributes, and he wasn't any better for it. So I don't think I can really take that as a a good sign. But it's not a guarantee, is it? No, but you know, it's nice to see some Everton news that isn't you know like you know oh we're missing the games or oh you know so on and so forth. Nice to be linked to players. It almost like nothing's going on. Um, also, as well, the Daily Mail came out with an. Um, a story saying that USM or one of the affiliate they didn't say USM, they said Alish Usmanov, and I assume that'll mean USM or one of his associated companies are set to be the stadium name and rights partner for 200 million over 10 years, which you know would be pretty good. I mean, to the surprise of absolutely no one, he's you know he's involved in all, all things Everton at the minute, and 
Um, he, he, he paid the, the tidy sum of £30 million just for the first refusal, so I don't think anyone expected, um, even if it's not true, I don't think um, anyone expects a left-field sort of company to come in and name the stadium. I think it will be a Nusmanov-type company. Uh, what did you make of that? Like, I thought I thought it was a pretty... Uh... Like you say, I think it's pretty uplifting, given that everything's a bit melodramatic at the moment. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued, to be honest, because I'm not too sure. There might be a few other stadiums with naming rights. What is twenty million a season set against the scale of other clubs and their naming rights deals? Is that a good deal? You know what? I actually, I actually don't know. To be honest, that's a. Probably something for the business matters podcast to hear to it, touch on. It certainly is. I think. Think for me. I think obviously we're seeing this and like you're, you're totting it up and it's sort of coming to oh twenty million a season. Get in. We've got twenty million more. It's like it's obviously twenty million more than we're already getting. So of course yeah. it's a good step up. But is it a, is it like good for a stadium name and rights deal? I'm not actually sure what. You know, obviously you've got places. A lot of the ones in America have sort of companies sponsoring them like you know like hard rock stadium things like that how much do you reckon they're paying yeah true i mean i can't imagine it being below but a low rate considering you know it's a a new stadium and you know with our our, shall we say closeness to the person involved um, and i can't see it being under market value i can see it actually being over market value um Considering we're going to get a mates race, let's be honest. Um, but it's it's just the way it's going now. Eventually, the top stadiums in the country, none of them will have um, you know, old school names. There won't be a Goodison Park or anything like that. There's no Highbury. It's the Emirates. It's not Main Road. It's the Etihad, and we'll be the USM. And and it's just part and parcel of, fo- of football. If it helps your team to be competitive, then why not? You I have mean, to do it, it yeah. I remember a long time ago the very idea of rena- of of stadiums not having their own names was quite you know alien, quite, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite unpopular. It sort of changed overnight that the public opinion on that wasn't like people were dead against it. Whereas now it's it's no one really you know thinks anything different. I think it's just the over time people have got used to it. I think it'd be a harder sell to rename an, an existing stadium. So if you tried to make the USM Goodison Park, even though that might be a might be something we were worth doing for a few years to generate some money, but I think people would be a little bit more resistant to that than they would be, you know, with the I US. Think people, I think people would be a bit cynical about it as well, like they'd see through it. Yeah, well, to be honest, it has They'll see through it in the new stadium, but I think, like you say, because it's on vogue, if you like to mm. give name and rights to a new stadium, maybe people won't look into it as much. Yeah, I mean... People will call it Bramley Moor because it's been it's been in people's con you know conscience for a while now as Bramley Moor. The Bramley Moor, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like um you know a stadium which no one you know if it was just called the new stadium and no one you know the new stadium. Yeah, well, if if it was at um Stone Stone Bridge, yeah, if it was there then it might not have a name synonymous with it. Like, no one would be calling it Stonebridge Cross. They'd just be calling it the new stadium, like, until it got a name. Whereas because this is on a dock and it's got its own specific, you know, like, it already exists or something, whereas Stonebridge Cross, while it has got a name, it's just a plot of land. Bramley Moor Dock is a dock, and it's, you know, it's amongst the other docks. So I just think it'll get referred to as the the dock stadium or Bramley Moor Dock, and 
eventually the USM. But it's the like same way City have got Eastlands as well as the Etihad, you know what I mean? Yeah, Eastlands. That, I mean, again, that's a bit of a vague name. That's like us calling it Crocky. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, um, it was originally the City of Manchester Stadium, wasn't it? For the That was it, yeah. But it was because it was run by the council, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the council put their name on it. <laughs> well, it was nearly us, wasn't it? Um, in a way, after the fashion. Anyway, let's move on with the uh, the show. We've we've waffled enough. Um, so, first uh, segment is Jordan Pickford or number two goalkeeper, to be more specific. Like, do we need another number two goalkeeper in the summer to put pressure on Jordan Pickford? Obviously, we've got Martin Stecklenberg at the club, whose contract expires in the summer. No. Um, no guarantee that his contract will be extended. He's obviously coming towards the end of his career now. He's you know he's at a, a decent age. Um, Joe Virginia's at the club. He's he recently made the bench in the last match, um, but he definitely needs a loan deal. He was on loan this season, but was recalled because basically lack of good playing time. I still think that the best thing for him, and I think the club will probably concur, is to go out and get another loan deal, one where he plays and he, you know he cuts his teeth a little bit. We did bring a number two in, obviously, uh, last summer, a new number two to put pressure on Jordan Pickford in Jonas Lersel, but for whatever reason, it hasn't seemed to have panned out so far for um, for Lersel. He's, you know, he, he came into the squad, he was playing a little bit in pre-season, and then he hasn't played a competitive game for the club, in any, even in the cup competitions, anything like that. Um and even though Pickford's had some ropey form in the last, you know, several months, you know, certain games where he's come under a lot of like criticism from from supporters and the media, Lesl didn't seem to be, you know, anywhere near, you know, displacing him or even getting it, you know, getting a game ahead of him. And obviously the managerial position changing hasn't really helped him in that regard. But he's gone back out on loan to Huddersfield to get some games um, with the idea basically being at that time that you know he needs to go to have a chance of going to the Euros. Uh, obviously, you know, situations change a lot with that now, but what what do you think? I mean, what what would you do about this goalkeeper position in the summer, be it the number two, or even if it's, do we buy a new number one and let Jordan Pickford fight it out and be the number two? Like, what, what's your thoughts on it? It's a very interesting dilemma, I think, because it, I'm not sure if you've been reading the general football news, but there's, I think one of the bosses of Huddersfield said that they most likely won't be making Lossell's loan permanent, so he could be back in the first-team squad next season, even if he is a number three, even. So it's a very interesting. I think Stecklenberg's gone this summer. I think, like I say, Virginia's got to go on loan. Whether Lossell's here or not, I do think we need another goalkeeper. The question for me is, is it a... Is he going to upstage Pickford or is he going to just be another bench warmer? What would you go with? Obviously, Pickford's form's very divisive, I'd say, at the moment, but some people are sticking by him and some have written him off. What sort of side of the fence are you on? I'd like a new first-choice goalkeeper in my ideal world. I don't think Pickford's anywhere near good enough at the minute. I think he's he's been poor for pretty much the whole season with, you know, flashes of the odd, you know, the odd good performance listed amongst a bad season. Um, 
I don't think it will happen. I don't think I want it to happen. I think it should happen, but will it? I doubt it. I don't think Pickford's anywhere near danger of being replaced. Um, because a lot of money's been invested in him. He's a young player. His stock's low at the minute, so it's not as if anyone's going to come in and buy him. Um, I mean, you never know, but I'd be I'd be surprised. Um, it depends who's available. Like you know, goalkeeper is one of the hardest positions to you know to buy for at the minute because you know how many top top goalkeepers are there around. There's only a couple, and even the top ones you know make mistakes. But this season, I mean, I don't know if you saw. I'm, I don't know the first thing about XG, but did you see that XG graph that was on Twitter about Pickford? Uh, I have, I haven't seen it to be honest. But hey, long story, indicate. long story short, he was the most underperforming keeper of the of the entire league. You know the shots he faced, to how many went in, and so on. He, he's having a, a really poor season, and you know we've. I can't forgive me. I don't know his name, but we. Oh, I can't pronounce his name. Rather, he the goalkeeper from Lazio. We've been tentatively linked with him in the press, but I just don't think with other positions in the squad that need, you know, money investing in it and attention and, you know, paid to it, central midfield, right wing, right back, I don't see goalkeeper being high on the list of priorities for the for the manager or Marcel Brands because it's money's tight, the financial fair play is tight. So I think we will probably bring in a number two keeper. Possibly even a free transfer. I know there's a couple, you know, you've spoke about uh, off camera, which I'm going to ask you about now, uh, of potential number two goalkeepers who could come in on a free transfer or a low fee um, to put pressure on Pickford because it, it has happened before. I remember um, Nigel Martin coming when oh, Richard Wright. He was, Richard only Wright. he was only supposed to be a backup for Richard Wright and he upstaged him. Yeah, he was. Richard Wright was, was bought it, by it, David Moyes. And actually, it's funny you should say that because I'm comparing Pickford to Richard Wright a lot lately. Yeah. Well, I think he's a very good shot stop. Like you say, he has like, the odd brilliant game, but he's full of errors. Well, yeah. And, and then Nigel Martin came in as like an experienced understudy and got his chance and then never let go of it because he was such a superior player to him. So there's always a chance that happened. But if you've got any... Like what names would you like to see brought in? As- I, I think I think it's very interesting that you say that because I I was suggesting maybe an out of contract world class keeper who's maybe past his best but still better than Pickford. I'm not sure what there is out there at the moment. I'm not sure. Obviously, there's a, there's a couple I can think of. Maybe Serie Obviously, it's a bit far fetched, but I don't. And he's probably in his forties now, but he's still probably an upgrade on friggin' Pickford. And obviously he's worked under Ancelotti as well. I think it was Ancelotti who brought him to Juventus in the first place. So obviously he's probably still got you know a close tie there. But there's probably a few others. I'm not sure how old uh, Handanovic. I know he's a v- still very well rated at Inter, isn't he? Yeah. Who was the? Who was the? And I think I know who it was, but I don't think you said the name of the first one. Which one? The first one you were talking about, the Juventus one. You didn't say the name. I don't G- think. Gigi Buffon. Yeah, I, I knew it was, but I thought of anyone who doesn't know who you're talking about, just let's just say the name. I mean, I mean imagine Buffon. I mean, I don't care how old he is, I'd have him all day. That's what I mean, but that was the thing. Nigel Martin in his prime was a world-class keeper. Hmm. It doesn't matter how old you are. I think as a goalkeeper, you don't really lose it unless you start gaining weight like Neville Southall does. Yeah. You don't really... I don't think you lose it that badly. I mean... 
I, that'd be brilliant. But I mean, if there's other, I mean, other people have said that we want not the first ones to recommend it. But um, Ben Foster is out of contract at Watford at the end of the season. I think he'd be a decent, um, a decent shout to come in and understudy Pickford and. Well, not understudy him so much as mentor him because he's got the experience of his career. He's been an England player himself. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I think we're getting to the point soon where Pickford's probably only got a make or break season next season for him, and then he has to be replaced uh, properly. He has to be replaced, or you know, I, I know he signed a new deal recently, but I think. You know the manager. If he's if he has another season next season like he's had this year, I can't see Ancelotti, you know, sticking with him. I think he'll look to bring in a new younger keeper, uh, not younger, sorry, a new fresher keeper. It's just the squad. When Pickford's on song, he can be one of our best players. He can earn us points with the saves he can make in a game, but he can also cost us points with the silly mistakes he makes. Now, you know, he would say, "Well, I correct those mistakes straight after." But it's like we don't want that erratic form from a keeper and we don't want to I, I personally don't want a keeper who, who responds to criticism by you know like you know basically saying I shouldn't be criticized like you can he, he responds so bullishly to criticism and not in a sort of I know I'm you know not not in a sort of I'm I need a, to do better stand yeah, away it's more he of sort a, of feels how like, dare you criticize me yeah he doesn't seem to take it on board he still makes the mistakes and you know um as you think is he needs a bit of his ego knocking out of him. Yeah, I mean, it might come with experience, but uh, who, who knows? He's still a quality keeper based on ability. And when you look at the, you know, the, there's not a wealth of, of top keepers around. So you think, well, you might you might go out and replace him and get someone who's not as good as him. And that is that is a risk. But I'd, I'd just, uh, I'd like to see more from Pickford. But I think a, I think a better number two, a genuine threat to him. Might might be the ticket. The rocket, up, the rocket up his backside that he needs, maybe. Yeah, if he if when he makes a mistake, he thinks I might not play next week. I think that would do him the world of good because at the minute he he's, there's no danger. No, he, no one's troubling him. His head would have to be half hanging off to for him not to play at the at this at this point. But yeah, I think the club needs to address that. But they'll address it by buying a number, bringing in a number two, and not a number one. I think at this stage. Yeah, I think Foster's a good suggestion that I think you came up with, but is there anyone else you can think of across Europe? I'm just going to actually, while we're on here, I might just pop online and just have a little look to see or, um, if who's going on a free. Um, well, I'm sure, the, I'm sure the Napoli keeper will get linked with us at some point because, let's be honest, every single Napoli player has been linked to us. Who is the Napoli keeper? <laughs> Why is Os- it's Ospina. Is it? Yeah, well, Yeti Mina goes on the limo with David Ospina, so... Uh, <laughs> Fair yeah, he's definitely signing for us, eh? Yeah, well, there's always a Donnarumma. Not really realistic, but let's be honest, he's a Mino Rayola player, so you never know. How's he getting on at AC Milan now? Do the fans still hate him after that transfer request, or...? I don't know. They, they had, like... Banners about him and everything, didn't he? So I can't they were, imagine. They that. were proper kicking off, but now obviously he's maybe it's all settled down. He's clearly still getting a game. So yeah, I mean, we, maybe maybe we're talking we're talking nonsense when you look around the league. Even the top teams, as the uh, our, our lovable neighbour showed the other day, haven't all got quality second choice keepers. So I think expecting Everton to go out and have two quality keepers might be a bit of a 
bit of a fantasy wish, but um, yeah, I think I think Ben Foster could be the perfect fit because unless Watford resign him, because I you know I can't imagine him wanting to uproot him. He's getting an offer a new deal there, but you know he's in the last year of his contract, and you know it it would be a step up. Watford, it'd be a step up in terms of club size, but it'd be a step backwards in terms of at his age, does he want to understudy or does he want to play as much as he can? I mean, he's still he's in his mid thirties, isn't he? Yeah, he's not old as in like he's finished, but he's old as in like he's he's gonna he may want to play. He may say, "Well, I've only got three, two or three years left, so I want to make sure I'm playing as much as possible." Whereas a young keeper, maybe someone we you know we've not had come up yet, might be, "Well, you're gonna get your chance. Just stick, you know, just stick at it." I've just I've start, I'm starting a little look through the list now. See who's about another interesting one who's in his mid thirties is an actually an ex Everton understudy of the past, uh, John Ruddy. You reckon he's of the level we need, or probably not? Um, I liked John Ruddy the first time we had him. I, he had I, a belter of a game once. Yeah, I think he only played about twice. Yeah, I, he, I, I think he I was, was back up. Go ahead, what? That was it. Go on. Yeah, he was. A, I know he, he was back up to the. I think it was that season. Nigel Martin got injured, and Richard Wright was awful. So we got to go. He was all right, and then obviously we got Tim Howard, so he was the number two to him for a long time, so we never really, I think he only played about twice in his entire like five years he was here. I don't really see him as a, you know at the level to, to test pick, but he'd just be another Stecklenburg game. Somebody who's got a long career and you know, experience, but he's not really going to threaten to you know start any games. Whereas Ben Foster, I mean, I thought Lazel would do this, because although he'd been at Huddersfield, you know, Huddersfield went down, he was a, first choice keeper in the Premier League the season before so I, I thought well if you bring him in then he's not going to be out of his depth terrible he's going to be a Premier League keeper with an interesting with a different defence in front of him but obviously it hasn't panned out that way so far for Lazel it may, it may still do it may, he may come back and go right well I'm ready now but I think someone like a Foster if he'd be willing to you know come in as an understudy at first or as a number two I think he'd be the type of player if he did come in, you know, Pickford might have a job getting it back off him, a la Nigel Martin and Richard Wright. Yeah, well, I'm just having a little look through. There's not many big-name goalkeepers who are available for free this summer. The only um, decent one I can see is Walter Benitez from Nice, but I can't see him leaving, being a first-choice in his prime, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. I oh, well, for, he's 27. Why has he had a contract? Uh, it's interesting you should say that. I'm not actually sure why. We we uh, we need Jerry for this information. <laughs> We're just spouting off a dead end like questions. Why is that? I don't know. Where's he? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, sorry, sorry, it's not. It's not. It's not ideal. It's just literally that we're doing our research like in the middle of the show. I mean, we should probably be a bit more uh, clued up. But I don't really sorry. focus. I don't really watch a lot of football outside of the Premier League these days. So. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta think, but yeah, Jan Luigi Buffon's out of contract at the age of forty-two. This summer, in case you're interested, guys. Oh, I mean, I'd have him as the goalkeeping coach. <laughs> Never mind the goalkeeper, just to get him in the club. How good would that be? Oh, I'd, I'd, he's just a belter, isn't he? I'd, I'd, I'd have him in a heartbeat, but in Carlo any capacity. Can, Carlo can take him to Bootle Strand. Oh my yeah. God, it, <laughs> Carlo and Jan Luigi Buffon in Bootle Strand is just like. Get some uh, salt and pepper shumai from the butchers. It's unreal. Love it. Right, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Then we, we basically the, 
we both agree that we think Jan Luigi Buffon is needed at Everton in any capacity. A new keeper is on the agenda for this summer. Um, Likely to be a number two uh, to replace Stecklenberg and maybe even replace uh, Lazel, depending on how things go with him. We both like Jan Luigi Buffon (laughs) for non footballing reasons mostly, but (laughs) but there's also other options like. you know, the, like Ben Foster on a free, or even why not? It's on a rumor. Yeah. Go, ring up, ring up, uh, me, ring, ring, ring up, let him just say do us another favor there. Me no fantastico, me no magnifico. Segment's going to be called Remember the Name, where we are going to be looking back on the careers of former Everton players. Some, maybe more recently, some looking back into the maybe the glory years, maybe. Who knows? Hopefully the glory years are coming back pretty soon, but fingers crossed. As for this one, today we're going to be looking into the career of Gerard De La Feu at Everton, who was came, obviously, with a lot of promise from Barcelona and went on to have two separate spells at Everton, was generally a popular figure with the fans, but we'll just look into it a bit more. What we thought of Gerard De La Feu. So, Terry, what was what did you make of Gerard De La Feu? Uh, what's the sort of reaction you got when he signed? Well, when he signed, it, it, it's it's like a different lifetime now. Like, obviously, we just David Moyes had just left. Now we'd had like you know ten years, eleven years, David Moyes, and. Um, Regardless of whatever job you thought he did, like whether you loved him, whether you thought he, you know, got stale at the end or whatever, what have you, he had been, you know, he'd been here ages and it had been Moise's way for ages. So when Martinez came in, that transfer window, things were very different. You know, we he, he basically we had no depth under David Moyes. We had a very strong 11, 12, 13 and a push players throughout his entire time. But then we'd fill the bench out with kids then you know, use them here and there and what have you. And then when Martinez came in, we started buying players that we would never have bought under David Moyes for better or worse. Turned out to be worse in a lot of cases. But we got started doing deals that were you outside the box they weren't like what you would have expected under Moyes under Moyes you'd expect one maybe two at most players players per summer but they'd be you know drag on for weeks on on end and you know you you know you'd know they'd be you know gone over with a fine tooth comb whereas we I think in quick we had two splurges on transfers we got obviously Alcaraz, um, Aruna Kone and Gerard De La Feu and then obviously on the deadline day we got Gareth Barry McCarthy and Lukaku. Gerard Delafeu, other than the Lukaku excitement, obviously because he was, you know, striker who'd scored goals at West Brom and he, you know, he was a quality player. But until that very last minute when we got Lukaku, Gerard Delafeu was the most interesting transfer of that window so far because, you know, Martinez had bought Kone, who was a striker at Wigan, he brought Alcaraz, who was out of contract, defender at Wigan, you know, raised Rob Les as well. Sorry, Rob Les as well. Oh, Blaise, yeah, I haven't even missed one out. He brought that many. But he brought a lot of, in his first sort of splurge, he brought just ex-Wigan players with him. And, you know, people 
did raise a few eyebrows, but they were given the benefits that out at the time, you know, because at that time it's it's hard, it's easy to forget that Evertonians weren't as jaded as they are now with transfers, you know, because we've had so many players come and go in the last several years. That back then, you know, there wasn't Just the that... fact that we were signing players, I think, was a yeah a source of excitement. Yeah, it was. It was the fact that we were signing players and signing a lot of them, even though they weren't like you know, all particularly very strong moves, even on the face of it. It was a big deal. We were like, oh, well, we, you know, we've signed multiple players. We're adding depth. But Jared Delafay, you stuck out the most because obviously the others were from Wigan. And then we got this this kid Barca from Barcelona. Yeah, Barcelona B. And it was, it was put in the announcement that he was on loan and it was a strict no-buy clause uh, loan. It was actually mentioned, like, there is no option to buy. He is coming back. So he was sort of like, you know, hyped up from that moment. Like, oh, this kid's class. He's, you know, he's going to be, you know, not the next Messi, but he's going to be the next Barcelona, you know, like, you know, product of La Masia. And we're going to get him on loan. And they've said in, you know, really, you know, firm language, you're not keeping him. Don't even think about keeping him, which made me think, oh, how good is this player going to be? The Barcelona aren't even willing to. Because a lot of the time when we'd sign players under Moise, we'd sign players. And it worked a lot, don't get me wrong, but we'd sign players who'd sort of like, you know, lost their way a little bit in their careers, like, you know, Pinar or someone like that. Arteta was a prime example. Obviously, yeah. he, he didn't cut it at Barcelona, so he ended up moving on to Rangers, I think, and then to Everton. Dossier dad as well, like, like that. But we basically got, you know, unpolished gems and, you know, we'd sign them and we'd, we'd you know, make them better. And then we'd, we, we, Sorry, we'd loan them, then we'd sign them for low fees. And whereas this one was like, there was no view to buy. There was no suggestion that this player is going to be an Everton player long term. It was just, we're just going to lend you this quality young player. And then that's it. And that, to me, actually built the hype in a way. Because it made me think, like, what's what's this kid? They must value this guy a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, people... Plus, you'd never heard of him. Like for the kickoff, it wasn't like you know oh, we've seen him play a few games and he's not ready for Barca. It was just like who's this star kid who's going out on loan and he's going to a Premier League team as his loan and he's coming back. So then he obviously, you know, he comes into the team and we're playing brilliant. The team's brilliant. It wasn't just you know Delafeu, but the whole team for Martinez's first year. It was probably the best we'd seen Everton play since Kendall. Yeah. Because we were just quality, you know, everything sort of clicked into place. You know, John Stones and Ross Barkley were starting to establish themselves. The central midfield, you know, Barry and McCarthy was perfect. And we had a top quality goal scorer. So Delafeu came in, you know, the pressure wasn't all on him. So if we got a player like that now, it'd be like, right, let's see what you can do. I want you to make the difference in this team. And, you know, pressure might get to him. So Delafeu came in. But he didn't play every week. He sort of rotated with um, Kevin Morales. Um, Pinar tended to stay, keep his place, but Delafeu and Morales would, you know, sort of come in and out for each other. And, you know, he looked quality, scored some good goals, like that goal he scored away at Arsenal. We hadn't, we still haven't got a good record away at Arsenal, but even when we went 1 0 down, I felt like when I was watching that match, like, we're still in this. We could still get something. Obviously, he, he scores that quality goal. And I remember when the, the seat, when that season was over, um, Guillaume Balagay, uh, the journalist, did a night um, at Goodison Park. It was a, it was a night uh, dedicated to Spanish football, and you know Spain had just you know won the World Cup not long before and what have you. And 
I went to it and I, you know, just just wanted to, you know, and basically GM did this sort of um, relaxed thing after the questions. They had like Fernando Hierro there and um, yeah, I can't remember his name. And um, this will do me head in this now. A, a journalist from um, from Marca um, in Spain and basically just did a talk about like how far Spanish football's come, what have you. But afterwards, he done an. Um, a Q&A session but it wasn't like a formal one where you put your hands up it was like all go to the bar and I'll just be at the bar so I, I started asking him about Jared Delafeu with it and I was like is there any chance he could come back like you know what because you know we really want him and, and, and you know he's got a lot of connections to Barcelona and Game Balagay was saying you know what I don't think so I think they see him as you know as like the future the same way they're, they're looking at that Fatih now like he's going to be yeah you know, very similar actually yeah, like they saw him as like this this big thing, and I was like, oh, he basically said he's in, you know, he lo- he likes to hear Delafeu. This is this game Balagay saying this. He likes to hear. If he were to move, he'd probably come here, but I don't think he will move because you know he sees his future at Barcelona, and Barcelona see that. But then, it, you know, obviously, I'd, I'll I'll let you cut, cut come in now rather than go on to his second spell. But what, like that. He was just an exciting player. He turned heads when he first came in, just from the type of transfer he was. And I can't even... The season was just that good, and he was part of it. I don't even, like... You know, I, what, did he set the world alight in his first season? I feel like he did, but I might just be having rose-tinted glasses. I feel like he was quality in the first instance. Like, still had his issues. He still had, like, poor stamina and whatnot. But that was all stuff that, you know, you could train and something that you could... You know, improve on. But what what did you think when we signed him? I've gone on that length. So what what what? How did you feel? No, I I was the same. I was like very impressed. Obviously, I knew about him, and he was like the superstar of Barca's reserves the year before. And like like you say, they had high hopes for him. And then when we got him, I thought this will raise a few eyebrows here. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, he did, and he he did well. I mean, like I say, it wasn't flawless. I think there was times where he was in and out of the team. But obviously he was a young player, so I think, like you say, because everyone else was performing, we gave them the benefit of the doubt. But um, yeah, it was an interesting one because uh, obviously then he came back the second time, and we kind of knew what sort of Delafeu was about. But I thought he was a bit more refined when he came back the second time. I'm not sure about you. Well, when he when he came back the second time. It, there was real excitement for that as well because he's obviously he'd gone back to Barcelona and he hadn't really you know grasped any chances you know like he, he was on the bench he plays a bit more than you know than he plays a bit more than he would eventually when he went back a third time but like a second time what have you but he, he when he was coming back it was like right well he's gone back to Barcelona and he, and he hasn't been good enough to get in the Barcelona team so Everton are going to go back for him and we just had Martinez's second season where you know we, we, were, crap. we were we were great in Europe so that that sort of you know it pulled the wool over a lot of supporters eyes myself included I I was I went into Martinez's third season sort of like half excusing the poor league show because we were so good in Europe and you know because he had been so good the season before I sort of wanted to believe that the second season was the blip not the first season and I so I went into the third season thinking well we're going to see now which one was the real Roberto Martinez and and you know we sure did but um there was the there was a there was a wave of excitement going right well we're going to get Delafeu back but this time it's for keeps and we're getting him for low money 
you know, he's not being good enough for Barca. It, it was very similar to a typical Moyes deal, as we were discussing before. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It felt like, well, we're going to get this player back. You know, it's if if we designed Donovan, it would have been like this, I think. Like that, yeah, or even the way we did with Arteta, I think. Yeah, well, it was just, there was a wave of excitement, but it was a different wave because it was like, well, we've had a sort of half and half up and down season last season, but we're going to put it right now. This summer's crucial. And when we were getting Delefeu back on, yeah, he's not had a good show on a Barca, but he's still a quality young player. It might just be, he might just you know, need a couple more years to turn it on. And, you know, like he might need a bit of polish. You know, like like you've got it in one, like a Moise player. Like, yeah, he's, his stock's low with his club, but we'll get him and, you know, he'll be better than he ever was. So we had the... Um, there was a banner, wasn't there? Like by I think it was by John and Airport. We welcome Delafeu, and you know we put it on his Twitter, and it was like you know the buzz, the excitement. You know, like we I said before, we've had so many players in and out at the minute that Evertonians now are a little bit burnt about hyping up players when they sign them. But we were so absolutely we, buzzing when he came back. I remember this. Yeah, exactly. Like now, if you sign a player, even if it's a player you know and he's a decent player, you know, you're sort of cautious because, you know, you've had so many new players come in and you've been really excited for them and they haven't panned out that you sort of think, well, let's see how they do first. It's it's bred a sort of healthy caution, I suppose, or a healthy, like, patience with new players. Sandro was the one. I think that turned everyone into cynics. Yeah, well, you know, for me, it was Davy Klassan. I thought Davy Klassan was going to be a game-changer, but he clearly wasn't. But it made me think that you can be so sure on a player and be so excited, and it just doesn't happen, so you best wait and see. But back then, you know, this was so, this was a knock-on effect of Moise's transfer record. Moise very, very rarely got it wrong. So we went... We expected it. Yeah. We expected every sign to be, like, tick the box. Yeah, we weren't, we, I think, I can't speak for everyone, but I think as a fan base at that time, we weren't really used to bringing in players at all, but we certainly weren't used to bringing in players and have them just bomb, because it didn't yes. happen that often. Like, we, never, happened, we, never, we never got shortchanged, you'll find, if, if Moy signed a crap player, he probably signed them for about half a million tops. Yeah, like the proper investments that he made, you know, you can count on your hands how many over a decade, how many players he brought in that weren't good, that weren't value for money or anything or what have you. So obviously we've become accustomed to it now, but back then it was just like ah, oh, you know, it was it was not exactly the same, but it was similar levels of excitement. So when we got Pinar back because we knew what we were getting, and he was synonymous with a time where the team was better. Because when Pinar came back, we'd gone crap for a spell. And when he came back, it was like, this is the beginning of us having a little revival. You know, we're going to get Baines and Pienaar back down the left because we'd had Royston Drenthe and what have you, hadn't we? Magai Gay. Yeah, and it was like, and this was this, a similar sort of vibe. You know, like, oh, well, you know, we've had a poor season last season, but, we, you know, we, we need to, you know, we can kick on in the transfer market now. And if you get Jared Delefeu back, but you're going to keep him this time and he's for a cheap price... That's that's quality, and then obviously after that, you know what happened to Martinez happened, and Cumin. I don't know why Cumin never stuck with him as a striker. You know, I mean, now I think if we had Jared Delafeu, now he'd play the Richarlison role. He'd play off a striker. That, he does that, it often, doesn't he? Well, it, when they play four four two, he often does like he'll play off Tradini, 
I think if we as a player, you know, obviously we didn't have the manager at the time for this, and you know, never, you know, it's no good thinking about it. But if we as a player to four four two with Delafeu off Lukaku, we'd have been a quality team. Oh and yeah. If we, you know, but that would have needed, and it wouldn't have gone at this time. It wouldn't have been popular. We'd have had to have dropped drop Ross Barkley because he played that role. He played off Lukaku, but I think Delafeu off Lukaku would have been so much better with you know. Whatever, you know, eventually, whoever we had on the left, I think it was cleverly at one point, and I'd, we probably didn't have the players to do it. But with the fullbacks we had in their prime of Baines and Coleman, we could have had, you know, Ross Barkley on the right of a four or something like that. You know, the you know more compact midfielders, but just just a wasted opportunity. And he's at Watford now, and he's you know he's he's kicking on he does look an even better player than he was at Everton because at Everton obviously you know his faults didn't come out he had the lungs of like an asthmatic hamster you know he'd be blowing out of his ass very early in game. half an hour into the game really yeah he's still got that he, he but he's his quality is is improving he's not you know turned into a well beater but a consistent a team with a set style and a consistent you know like in one of games and he's starting to, you know, like prove he's, he is a Premier League player. A lot of I saw you see on Twitter all the time. A lot of people going, you know, if Watford go down, should we get to the Feu again for our right hand side, like a third time? <laughs> I mean, I, I, why not? But I, I just don't, I don't see he, it. I, I personally, and I mean, I know, I remember that season he came back. He did whip some brilliant crosses in for like some of Lukaku's goals, but. I never thought he was a right winger. I always thought he played better either on the left or, like you said, up top. I mean, I, I, I've got a lot of time for Delafeu. I mean, he, he was he was an exciting sign in the first time, and he was even more exciting in the second time. I think um, he was a good, he's a quality player, but he was came to Everton at the wrong time. He needed Everton to be more stable. I mean, a lot of players could say this, but he needed Everton to be more stable and and like you know. Um, the infrastructure to be more steady for him to thrive, and like he was in it, he was at a time when he was one of the few good players in like a struggling team, and then he was one of the players who he needed to. You know, he got he lost his place to Aaron Lennon just because you know where Craig was actually like, put a graft in. Yeah, we needed that at the time, and you know he, he turned my it blew my mind that we were sending our players who couldn't get on get on our team out on loan to AC Milan. Shows how far they had fallen. But oh, um, yeah. Yeah, a little spell there, didn't he? But I still think he's a quality player. I mean, he's he wouldn't suit Everton at this point because, as you say, the only place for him would be right hand side, and you'd need to be, uh, you know, a tireless hard worker. And we've had two good looks at him now, and that is one thing that he isn't. But I've got a lot of fond memories for Delafeu. He, he reminds me of a simpler time where I trusted the transfers were going to work out. Yeah, to be fair, well, he worked out more than most of the Steve Walsh signings did, so we think we can all agree on that. Well, yeah, he certainly proved to be better value for money than you know wingers who followed like Balassi, isn't he? Certainly, I don't care about value for money. He's certainly better than Sandro as well. Yeah, I mean, as, as you say, another Barca B teammate of his from back in those days. Yeah, I mean, just the the key is don't give them hundred and hundred and twenty five twenty grand a week because it's just you can't get rid of them if it doesn't pan yeah, out. It's, it's a nuisance, and I mean. Uh, that, 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 that is literally the legacy of Steve Walsh now is like these crap players that we can't shift but on the note of legacies before we finish what's Gerard Delafeu's legacy in Everton? Um, well thought of um, 
what came at the wrong time in his career and in Everton's history. A good player uh, at the wrong time. Definitely the wrong time. And I'd also say maybe misused as well. I think, like you say, I think either preferred him up top or maybe even cutting in off the left, I think. If we either never had him and Watford went down, we'd be all over him. Every fan would be like, we've got to get him, we've got to get him. The only reason that it's only sort of half spoken about now is because we've had two stints with him and, and you know, people have got like, oh, well, you know, we weren't very good at that time. I think he, I, I think in a, if we were to get him, and he went into our part of our forwards rather than our wingers. I think he'd be he'd be a quality addition. But absolutely. But, but right, uh, right now he'd cost too much money, and we've had to, you know you can't spend big money on a player you've recently you've you've let go before. It would just stick in your throat. I mean, if you, it's it's but, like it's like it's like United with Pogba in it. It's just yeah. But like, but also I think also the fact that like you say I think we've got other positions in our team that needs addressing. Hmm. I don't think that's ever going to be a goer. Certainly not this summer. Oh no, it's it's you know he's he's on good terms with Everton fans as well. He always gets a good reception when he comes back. I think he would crawl back to Everton. By the way, you can tell he's always a bit like he he wishes it worked out at Everton because when he comes back, he's like more affectionate with our fans than he is with the Watford fans. I think if we if we came in for him, he'd be throwing transfer requests down and everything. Yeah, I mean that's all another reason for Watford fans to throw snakes at us, but uh... Uh, be worth it just for that. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, that's for that's for another day. But there you have it. Gerard Delafeu still has a positive legacy at Everton.